Welcome to Women Waken, a holistic guide to wellness and abundant self-love, where we navigate healing, relationships, building self-confidence, and unconditional self-love and acceptance for an abundant life. I'm your host, Whitney Walker. I am a licensed mental health therapist, and I specialize in substance abuse, addiction, eating disorders, trauma, and spirituality. On today's episode, I speak with the joyful Annie McDonald. So I think grief is like that. David Kessler also has a phrase that I find very beautiful where he talks about getting to the place where there's more love than pain. And I think that that is important for people to be aware of that the more that you allow yourself to feel the discomfort of the pain, the love is underneath or on the other side of that. Annie is a acupuncturist, sound healing practitioner, and grief guide. She helps her clients to reclaim their joyfulness by healing their grief. On this episode, we explore in depth the concept of grief. What is it? What are some common misconceptions around grief? How is grief a physical and emotional experience? And how does grief go way beyond death? or any sort of loss. Annie helps us to understand how we can begin to gain a greater understanding around grief, meaning of the grief we experience, explore the different types of grief, and how to really come to respect and even potentially celebrate grief as an indication of deep love. It's a beautiful episode and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Annie. Welcome to the Woman Waken podcast. Hi, nice to be here. Thank you. Wonderful to have you. Annie, I'm very excited to have you on the show today. I've covered so many different topics on this podcast that I believe are really tied into humans, women, people being able to flourish in life to experience greater joy and peace and a sense of freedom. I love that mission. That's really true health is good health. Isn't just like getting good test results and having the right blood pressure. It's really mental health, emotional health, thriving rather than just surviving. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think unfortunately too often we a lot of us are so stuck in just trying to survive and get by surviving that we do sort of miss out on the thriving. Yeah. Or it can feel, thriving can feel almost unsafe because it's so unfamiliar. Or if you just don't have, you're so burned out physically, you don't feel like you have the energy to go out and do something joyful. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And that's one of the things that's always been so curious to me about life and the way that we live as a species is that it is sort of this more of a mentality of life is a struggle, life is suffering, rather than the idea that life can be remarkable, life can be amazing. Mm -hmm. Certainly there are people who see that and believe it, yet it seems more, if there was a baseline, our life would just be, okay, it's pretty difficult, it's always going to be challenging, it's always going to be painful, And so this concept of thriving can really feel like a sort of pie in the sky idea rather than a birthright for all of us. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and also just the, we forget that we're a part of nature and everything in nature is cyclical. There's after every winter comes spring mm-hmm. and summer and it's either a cycle or, I mean, I do a lot in sound healing and I was looking at some charts the other day of sound waves and the different frequencies and all of them had ups and downs. It's like the flat, you, you don't want the flat line because that's lifeless. Some can have higher highs and lower lows, but you want that movement. And the more you can practice being okay with the fluctuation, the more you can actually really enjoy the joy and the highs and whether the the lows and the the despair and it's just both are part of life. But if you want that flat, that flat effect, you miss out on the good as well as the bad. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that can be hard to accept at times, yet it is the nature of life. I've read often that you can't even really know great joy if you don't know great so- sorrow. Or if yeah, we always felt right. great joy, then there would be no, there would be such, no such thing as joy. Because if all you know mm-hmm. is one thing, then you stop to know it, right? We, we live in a mm-hmm. duality world. So if you don't have cold, there's no such thing as hot. It just right. is. So yeah, and I, but I think that it's, it's, it can be hard for us to accept that the low points are just a part of life. So Annie, you are an acupuncturist, you're a sound healing practitioner, and you're a grief guide, which I think mm-hmm. is a cool title, a grief guide. We certainly need more of that. There's many people who could, could be benefit from that sort of guidance. And how would you describe your work? Based on the topics that we've already just kind of hit on, how do you allow people to move from this place? Because I imagine a lot of people come to you and they're possibly stuck in that sort of sunken pit of grief where it's like, I will always I, be sad. I will never get over this. I'm so tired of feeling this way. I can't release. I can't, can't release this grief. How do you be whole? And then beyond that, what is your work about? Well, my I named my practice Joy Alchemy Acupuncture because I think there's real... So for people who don't know, like alchemy is back in the Middle Ages, there was a a science, science at the time, of the idea that you could take a substance like lead or mercury that seemed um, little value, and through an alchemical process, you could turn it into gold. And people were kind of obsessed with this for centuries, I think, but the idea of there's, there's a magic process that happens going from like the lotus coming out of the mud or finding great joy in the midst of great grief and despair. And conversely, using moments of joy to lift yourself out of despair. So I think there's joy is a kind of like an undervalued, an undervalued aspect today. It's to me, it's more than happiness. Joy has kind of rooted underpinnings where it's not as fleeting as happiness and it's more inexplicable. It's kind of, you know, when you're out in the wilderness and you come across a waterfall that's both kind of intimidating and scary to cross, but just awe-inspiring and you just feel this kind of mysterious sensation of, wow, this is, there's something bigger than me 
It's a miracle to be here. So that's kind of what joy means to me. And so there's there's always joy lurking in every moment if you look around for it. And that can really help shift perspectives and shift, shift energy from the heavier sensations of grief and sadness and, and anger and and all of the messy human emotions that we have to deal with every day. So when I work with people, it depends on where they are, really. Grief, I, I consider grief kind of like a wild animal where you're not going to really tame it, but you can learn ways to to work with it and to respect it and honor it. So some people, rather than, than being stuck, are in a state of avoidance, and they they may feel like they need to cry, but they can't cry. They may feel kind of stuck in a state of numbness or shock. So sometimes for someone like that, it's just good to receive. For in-person, just lie on the table, receive acupuncture, receive a sound bath, and let what wants to flow, what's ready to flow, flow without forcing anything. Sound is really powerful. I have a, I have a Spotify playlist of a couple hours of sad songs that are really good when you're in that that state of bereavement and you need a good cry but you just can't get there music can be really powerful to get you to express emotions and then once you express them they start to move and they're not like all knotted up inside of you so sometimes it is helping people to lean in to whatever emotions are coming up for them in grief. And then depending where they are in the process, even in my virtual sessions, I have training as there's a a yoga teacher who founded a school of yoga called Grief Yoga. And I trained with him to be a grief movement guide. So if someone is ready to get out of that stuckness, I'll do some Qigong and some of these yoga stretches with mindful meditation and sound to again help them express what might be just kind of sticking to them and just in a really easeful way. But part part of the process too is letting people be okay with not being okay. That's the title of a very famous grief book. It's okay that you're not okay because our society has so much denial and resistance to grief that sometimes the most healing thing you can do for someone is just listen to their story and not impose any expectation or guidance or time frame on them. So um, when I say I'm a grief guide, I'm still going through my own grief journey. So I'm kind of like a, a wilderness guide where I can point out some landmarks. I can help you navigate that whitewater rapids, but I'm still going through the rapids myself and it's a whole, like there's no, there's no expert who can come and wave a magic wand to make it better for you. You can, I can just walk beside someone and I find it very helpful too. I think a lot of people are afraid that if they give into an emotion, they'll get completely overwhelmed by it and they'll just get like sucked into this pit of tears or sadness. So sometimes during a virtual session, as people feel tears start to come, you know, I, I don't say anything right away. I give space for the tears. And then if depending on what I'm sensing from the person, at a certain point, I'll say, I'm here. 
you're not getting lost. You're here. I'm here. It's safe to cry. And then after they've processed that, then um, I can give them some maybe a breathing technique or a sound healing practice to just kind of bring them back to center. But I, that's what I try to do for people is just let them know that it's safe to, well, safe. I don't know about safe as a word because life isn't safe, but it's safer. And there, there is space for their emotions. Um, and as a guide, I can help bring them back from, from the edge if they feel like they're about to drown in, in whatever they're feeling. Yeah. And I think that's why some people are afraid to approach grief or the things that lead to grief, such as trauma or loss or drastic change, sudden change, any of those things. Because, and I've had people tell me this, that they say, I, I feel like if I go there, I'll, it'll take me, it'll overcome mm-hmm. me, it'll, I'll drown in it. Mm-hmm. I imagine it is powerful and helpful to have somebody with them when they're doing that. I mean, of course, as a therapist, I've walked people through that, but when specializing in grief, I think is its own very particular focus and understanding that you're sort of wading into territory that is very dense in in its emotional weight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's one of the things, it may sound odd to say it, but one of the things I like about grief is, is that it, to me, it's like the complete human experience because people have the idea if they haven't gone through it yet, they may have the idea that it just means sadness or like, that's what you see on TV that like they go to a funeral and they cry and then next scene, but really grief encompasses anger and guilt and shame and frustration and confusion and, and joy and nostalgia and melancholy and gratitude. All of that is there to be mined. So people can sometimes get into a limited idea of, and they they impose more shame on themselves if they feel like they're not doing it right. So that's part of, as doing grief support is just kind of, in a way, affirming for people that your experience is your experience. And it's also not set in stone. It's going to change. And maybe as we, like, oh, I do EFT tapping sometimes. And maybe you can tap through an emotion and feel feel a release of that guilt. But then, whoops, underneath that is some anger. And it's, it's not, it's this simple solution. It's, you know, we're complicated beings. And um, grief loss itself is a complicated experience. There are a lot of different variables. So it's it's a really rich territory. If people are willing to explore it, there's so much. I mean, underneath it all is love. So you can tap into so much love if you're willing to dip your toe in the water there. Yeah. I would agree with everything you just said. And it really spurred a lot of different things I'd like to talk about. But first, let's look at that idea that underneath all of it is love. And when you said that, it reminded me that when we do get that one of those many facets of grief, because again, as you said, there are so many things involved. It's never just one thing. There's grief really is very complex and, and comes from so many different places, but we wouldn't feel any of those things if it wasn't because underneath that, we truly deeply love something. 
Mm -hmm. right? Whether it's ourself, something really upsetting happened and we love ourselves so much that we're so devastated that this happened. We mm-hmm. lose a partner, we lose a parent, we lose someone in our life. There's love. We make a bad decision that didn't lead us where we wanted to go. We really love ourselves. We want the best for ourselves. We don't care. So yeah, it really helps to illuminate that, that we can trust Greece because it's, it's just an expression of our deep love. Mm-hmm. And and really, too, one of the more complicated forms of grief is when you're grieving either like in a strange relationship with someone living or you're grieving someone who's died and there's like unfinished business. And maybe maybe they were it was like a bad parent who wounded you in so many ways. And how do you grieve for them when you don't want to write a uh a good eulogy, you're still so angry at them. So maybe you like your first instinct might be to say, well, that's not about love. But I would say, actually, if you look beneath the wounding, it's the unexpressed love that you wanted to give a parent and you wanted to receive from a parent. That's, that's really where the pain is coming from. So that, that love is still at the core. It just is more painful in some ways than losing a happier relationship, but I would argue that that still your your soul knows it's full of love and wants an outlet for that love. And part of the grieving is that you didn't have that outlet in that relationship. Yeah, definitely. And I think that gets into the many different things that can lead to a sense of grief. Because and I think we often associate grief as grieving the loss and as as referring to death or the end of something. Yet you mentioned anger and disappointment. That also causes grief. If we mm-hmm. lose something that we absolutely loved or that we that we just cared for or really you know, it meant a lot to us. Mm-hmm. And if we lose that, especially if we feel like we're the ones that cause that loss, that can be a really deep sense of grief that's hard to get over because then it's a couple of different tones of emotion there, right? It's the sadness of the loss, but also the anger and the regret of a choice we might have made or an action we made or any of those things. And that I feel like is, is the combination for something that can really get you sunk deep in that grief where it feels, because it's one thing if, if we lose something and it feel it's completely out of our control and it just, I mean, that it's still sadness, but when we feel like I made this choice and then this undesirable thing resulted, I, and you're, you get stuck in that sort of, um, bargaining stage, which we might want to talk a bit about the stages of grief. I don't know if you follow mm-hmm. the traditional eight, is it eight or seven? Uh, traditionally it's five. Okay. The, yeah, I, I studied with David Kessler, who was the co-writer with Elizabeth Kubler Walsh, and he actually has a, a newer book out that adds a sixth stage. Uh, actually, he it's inter- it is interesting to talk about because he it, I don't know why it's funny that 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 book struck some kind of nerve where it's become like a pop culture thing of that people do do have this concept of stages of grief, but things that people don't realize is the book was originally based on research that she had done on people who were dying, not people who were grieving people who had died. So it, she herself never meant to kind of impose these stages on mourning people or even people who were dying. They were just kind of observations and it wasn't meant to be a like, you know, 
you're at step one. Now take a step forward to stage two. It's really more of like a just kind of guideposts. Like it's not a linear progression. These are some common threads that you may encounter. So it's, I'm not sure if I'm going to remember them right. It's denial, bargaining, anger. Acceptance is the, with like the last one. I think depression is in there too. So those were like five. Sadness, depression, anger, bargaining, denial. Usually like denial is thought of as like first and then bargaining and then anger and then depression or sadness and then acceptance. And then David Kessler added meaning as the, the ultimate stage that as you process your grief, you can find a greater meaning in the experience that's completely personal to you. But yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think that does tr- trip people up where they're, again, they may feel shame or embarrassment that they're stuck in one place and they feel like they should be moving on. But person to person, you're not going to hit all of them and you're not going to hit them in like the exact sequence. They're just kind of landmines to watch out for, but it's, it wasn't meant to be like a prescriptive process. Yeah. And it's so funny how things take off, right? How some, somebody introduces something into the world and sometimes it just goes unnoticed and other times it becomes the go-to for, for something. And this, this was one of those things. I, I'm, I am glad that you mentioned this because one thing I often talk about with my clients is, is that idea that it's not linear. You can read into and look for resources around Greece, but there's no timeline for grief. There's because people will often ask, how long is it going to take to get over mm-hmm. this? And the only answer is it's as long as it takes for that grief to run its course to run. And and I think I I want to say, I don't know if realistic is the right word, but to me, like a realistic answer is there is no ultimate end to grief because there's no end to love. But there are kind of developmental stages where your grief isn't going to look the same in the first, like the acute stage, which again can traditionally be called like the first year or the first six months or again, it varies during the really acute stage when you just wonder how you're going to survive and you're looking for how do I continue without this person or who am I now or where you're really feeling the weight or the confusion of all the different emotions or the shock. I, I do feel comfortable telling people it's not, you're not always going to feel this way. But like, I actually, I just had a, I just had a Facebook memory pop up on me today. That was a gut punch because it was four years ago today. And it was a picture of me, my older sister and my dad who are all Pisces. And it was the last, so we would always celebrate our birthdays together at a family party. So it was a picture of the three of us four years ago, which was the last time we had a celebration together because three years ago, COVID lockdowns were starting. And so we, we told my dad, oh, we, we don't want to risk getting you sick. We'll, we'll have to postpone it. And then later that year he died. So I'm still... It's been three, two and a half years since my my dad died. 
So I'm not in an acute stage anymore. And it's not something that like I'm constantly crying about. And But that was a complete gut punch. And I know that I even like I saw with my mom, my mom was in her 80s and she still grieved for her own mother. Because when someone is so integral to you and your life, you'll always miss them in some form or another. I know that every happy occasion I have, I'll enjoy the happiness and I'll feel a pain. Oh, my mom and dad aren't here to hear this happy. I know they're watching over me, but I, gosh, I would love for them to physically be here. So I think it's good for people to have the realistic perception that, and like with my um, like grief care sessions, I have them like where it can be a one-off, where it's maybe it is an anniversary coming up where you don't need to spend a lot of time, but maybe you just need to talk about what's coming up as this anniversary looms. Because oftentimes people will, they'll start to feel physically ill. They'll get headaches or they'll feel tired and achy or their digestion will be off. And then they, they might realize, or if you ask some questions and they might realize, oh, in two weeks, it's going to be eight years since my dad died. Your body knows, your body, to use the cliche, the, your body keeps score. Mm-hmm. And so, so sometimes can work through grief and get to a really good, happy place, but it's gonna, it's gonna cycle back around at certain key moments. So it's good to have the skills to recognize it, honor it for what it is, and know how to just keep moving through it. And that was a really powerful statement that because love never ends, grief never ends. Since grief hides love and that makes sense. And the way you just described it, I kind of pictured we can love something. I love my dog. I love her so mm-hmm. much. And and I, it's always like this baseline of love, but sometimes I'll have these moments where she's in a cute little position curled up and I'll just, oh, I just love you so much. And it's like the surge. And I think the same is with grief, because as you spoke of, there is the acute period where you feel it it feels like 24 seven. And that's the (laughs) hardest time is when you're I when will I get some relief from this? You know, because I've talked about with people who have lost spouses in a really traumatic way or even other family members. And it's so painful that they feel like they can't get through it. It's each moment. But then you'll find that a year goes by and a few years go by and they say, it will always hurt. I'll mm-hmm. always grieve this, but I don't think about it all the time. I don't mm-hmm. feel it so heavy. Mm-hmm. I don't feel debilitated by it, but mm-hmm. it's still there. And I'm sure they, just like that love I described, there's moments where it's like that picture you saw where you say, oh, mm-hmm. that gut punch where it's, oh, there it is. Okay, just got kicked right in grief. I need yeah. a moment for that to pass and, and to honor it. That mm-hmm. it might be a feeling of, wow, this is a little inconvenient because now I feel like it's hard, a little hard to get through the day. And I was, hadn't thought about this in a while, but we'll get, we get through. And, and ultimately it is also an opportunity to say, this is how deeply I loved. Yeah, absolutely. Like I seeing that picture and God, I'm so grateful that I had that with that. We had that moment together that we had so many birthdays together mm-hmm. that I'm still so grateful for, for my father and that 
there is so much love to grieve that there, I wouldn't trade that for anything. So it is, it's it kind of on a physical metaphor, if you think of an old injury that heals, but maybe like on a particularly damp, rainy day, you get that kind of like ache in your hip and you're, oh yeah, that's, I, I, I survived that wound, but I carry it with me a little bit. So I think grief is like that. David Kessler also has a phrase that I find very beautiful where he talks about getting to the place where there's more love than pain. And I think that that is important for people to be aware of that. I think the more that you allow yourself to feel the discomfort of the pain, the love is underneath or on the other side of that. So I think what, and another kind of, when you mentioned like people who live, who are in the first year and are just feeling it 24 seven, that's definitely very common. But I think another thing that's common is for people, for whatever reason, maybe just the complete shock of something, or maybe they have young kids and they they don't have time. Like what people don't realize too is there's so much like paperwork involved with grief. It's during that first year, your your finances may be completely in disarray. So you're you're dealing with these are called like secondary losses. Like so you're dealing with financial insecurity. Maybe you're having fights with relatives over a will or an inheritance, or the place you live is now in jeopardy because of. The primary caretaker isn't there to pay the mortgage anymore. Maybe you have young kids or your caretaker for like my, when my dad died, my mom was still, he, he had been her primary caretaker. So none of my siblings and I could completely feel the grief for my dad because we had to go into emergency mode of how do we take care of mom and make sure that, that she's safe. So I think what commonly happens is that you have to kind of table grief for the moment and deal with some practical details, or maybe you want to distract yourself. Maybe you double down into work or you numb out in front of the TV or any number of coping mechanisms. So then what can happen is the first anniversary passes and you think, oh, thank God, now I'm not acute anymore. I've I've passed that milestone. And then a year or five years later, you get completely upended because the weight actually sinks in and finally hits you after you had been kind of like postponing it for so long. So that's one of the reasons I encourage people to gently lean in as much as possible because that way you won't be completely blindsided or or projecting anger at people because that anger is a, a math covering the deep sadness that you don't want to you don't want to deal with right now. And I think a few concepts related to that sort of not being able to face something and then have a kind of a wave come over you. But I think there's also there can be unexpected grief and also delayed grief. Right. Oh, yeah. Maybe with things that aren't so obvious, right? Like I know I've had relationships that were not very healthy. And at, in, when you're in the midst of that sort of unhealthy relationship, there's so many ups and downs where sometimes it's, it just feels so great and you're, this is worth it. And other times it's so low and it's, it's just all over the place. And I, there's the times where I've been, you're finally out of it for a long amount of time. And all of a sudden it hits you. Oh my gosh, I was treated so badly. 
Mm -hmm. Our eye act is so awful in that. And this Mm -hmm. grief, it's like this delayed grief can, like this onset can come of having to be, and kind of asking, where is this coming from? Why is this bothering me now? And I think it's because grief also has to, it's not always clear. It's almost like Mm -hmm. a muddled water that all of a sudden, like suddenly become clear where you're, well, that's what was really going on. I was enduring really terrible treatment or I was conducting myself in a way that I don't really, I don't respect how, but if you, you can't see it for some time. Yeah, Yeah, that's a really great point too, because grief wears many masks and because we're so grief illiterate generally in our culture, you don't, you don't necessarily have a name for it. There actually are a lot of, I don't know how much it can help to put a label on things, but sometimes it does help that, oh, wait, I'm not alone in this. There's actually something called anticipatory grief, where if you're caring for someone, say, with Alzheimer's, there's so much grief way before the person physically dies because you're you're grieving the loss of their memory, the loss of the relationship where they're, even though they're technically your parent, you now are taking on the parental role for them. And that's a completely new sensation. You're, you're grieving that you like, they may be grieving the loss of independence or being able to drive. There's like all these little steps along the way that, that again, is like part of life, the ups and downs of life. And I, I meet so many people who like, don't feel entitled to grieve. They were, were encouraged to just dismiss it. Of, oh, well, I'll get over it or, oh, well, it was just this or it was just that. And, you know, it is it, it is good to have perspective. We don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill. But, you know, each little grief is real. And I, I don't want to say little. Each each grief is real and you're entitled to feel it. And, and it can be really confusingly mixed up with happiness, too. When you think of empty nesters, you can be so proud and happy that your child is going off to college and then just be hit by this wave of grief that, God, their childhood is over. Yeah. My, who am I now as a mother? What's my purpose now? So I think it, it can help to recognize that you're not crazy for having ambiguous emotions, that that grief is valid because something is being lost. Something really precious is being lost. Something's being gained, but it's, I think that I, I like to use the term honor because when you love something, there's something sacred and preci- precious about it. And so it's not disposable. Why not have a little ritual or like a mini funeral of sorts for something that you found precious that is fleeting for whatever reasons? Yes. Yes. And that, that makes me think more about the unexpected grief, which relates to what you talked about in that we really, within this one lifetime, we live many lives mm-hmm. and we don't see it. We don't see the most, like the dramatic birth and death, but we're born and we die to many different phases. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm, we're not even really the same person, right? The, who mm-hmm. we were when we were young is very different from who we are today. I've had myself and I know many people who have speaking to unexpected grief is they'll say, I don't know why, but suddenly I hit this certain point in my life and I just felt I miss so much like my 
my twenties or something, or like this time where I used to live with my best friends and we we're so young and we, we were like so optimistic about life. And I just miss that. And they'll say, I just feel so sad about that. And I don't know why, because here I am like in my thirties or forties and I've moved on and I'm, but I just feel this sadness around that. And yeah. I think there's something to say for things really are ephemeral, right? Mm-hmm. We'll have a totally specific set of circumstances and people in our life. And a few years later, that might not really be present very much at all. And when we realize that, I'll never have that again. And I think that's what can cause the grief is that realization of, again, like something dies, something is born and something dies. And that's what makes life beautiful and exciting and precious is because if everything was forever, we wouldn't value it as much, but it makes it very hard sometimes to recognize that and, and be able to say, okay, I have to, that's gone now. And now I need to appreciate this time for what it is, but it can be hard. Yeah, it's very hard. I think that's that's a big area where creativity is a really good tool to help with grief. Like I work with sound and music, but art or taking photographs, putting a collage or a scrapbook together, cooking, like my dad loved to cook. Every time I cook, I feel very connected to him. So, and And that's a way to tap into the life force energy that as much as you've lost, you're here now in this moment and how precious is this moment and what fuel I'm very, when you acknowledge grief, part of the meaning that comes from it is I physically lost my parents, but I know exactly what I received from them and the ways that I carried them with me and through me and the way that like the way I am in the world is so much in gratitude to what they taught me. So if I allow myself to express that, I may have lost something, but I am I know what I'm carrying forth from the experience. So it, it can be helpful to, you, you may say, oh, well, I'm just being silly for missing my carefree 20s. But you can sit with it and think, well, what, what am I missing about my 20-year-old self? And for one thing, your 20-year-old self is still alive inside of you, and you can connect with her at any time through guided meditation or just by kind of tapping into that voice and who that person is. And how impressed would your 20-year-old self be to see your 40-year-old self or whoever you are now? So it's the more you can like open up these streams of consciousness, grief really does become like a whole goldmine of possible joy and wisdom. Yeah. Yeah, And I think also with that kind of grief, it can be helpful to kind of revisit more realistically. You know, for example, if it's like sort of rose colored glasses about a a certain time Mm -hmm. of life. Actually, also, this is something I wanted to bring up. I can mention that I think also when we because I work, I specialize in addictions and when people Mm -hmm. let go of a addiction, whether we want to admit it or not, we become very attached and have a strong relationship with our addiction. So even mm-hmm. if it's caused utter chaos and turmoil in our lives, when we release it, let's say we struggle with alcohol, we get sober, there's grieving. There's still a lot, oh, right? right? But something that h- helped me in my personal recovery and I'm encouraging others is to go back and really revisit and say, okay, well, when I think of the happy times, when I think of the being able to use it and escape or use it and have like crazy nights and it was so fun. 
But then you go back and look a little closer and you can say, okay, but there was also so much anxiety related to these. There was so much risk taking. There was so many acts that I engaged in that I just couldn't respect myself for. And I couldn't trust myself during that time. So you can still honor and say, I hear that part of me that misses it, but I also want to honor who I am now, which is someone who is more aligned with my true self by not engaging in that behavior. Right. Yeah, that's a really that's a really good point. And the same thing too, of if you're feeling grief over severing ties with say an abusive relationship or to to keep that perspective that there is a reason to move on. You can hold on to again, you can hold on to the threads of love, but it's definitely a reason to move move forward. And the other thing that comes up related to to that, like recovering from an addiction or just recovering from any kind of chronic illness or maybe changing your your life habits to going through menopause or something like that and coming out the other side, you you start to grieve like how much time that you lost by being distracted and sucked into holding on to that that illness as a like who would I be without this illness and resisting ways to get well. And then when you do get well, you're, you look back, you're like, oh my gosh, it's so sad that I wasted that decade either with that drug or with not, or, or sometimes it's not nothing that you did, but maybe it took 10 years to get diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome. And a decade of your life is gone that you struggled. And again, there's like so much anger and so much grief for the time that you lost the opportunities that you lost, even as hope opens up and that now you have a treatment plan amongst that good, there definitely can still be a lot of sadness and anger and, and frustration. Yeah. And I think that's where that sixth stage that was added is so crucial is that when we can find meaning, right? Mm -hmm. When we've been through something that we had no control over, like an illness or something, we can say this I still feel great around that happened, but what did I gain from this? Or what, what growth, what soul growth, what evolution of me as a human, as a person was achieved through this, where I have things where I just wish that hadn't have happened. And that's where my, my deepest grief has been, where it's, how do I let go of the feeling of, yeah, but that shouldn't have happened. It just shouldn't have. And so I've fought that. And I think, I feel like that's, maybe that's bargaining, but another stage of grief is you almost want to fight it. You want to be like, no, it didn't have to happen. And this was wrong. And this, I could have done it differently. And I've, I've even gone through phases of, I guess, it, again, it's bargaining, but like fantasizing about, okay, if, if I could go back to this day, I would change what I did and everything would be better. And I've spent way too much time than I'd like to admit. Mm-hmm. That. And it's a painful place to be because then you come back to reality and you're like, that's not a, it's not feasible. There's, there's, right. you time travel and change things. So, so I eventually came to the place where I had to just start working on really finding such deep acceptance of who I am and love for who I am that I wouldn't change a single thing. And some days I feel very strong in that. And some days I don't. And I offer this because a big focus of what I like to share with others is how to gain greater acceptance and also confidence in who we are so that we can really flourish and, and feel this joy in life because joy, life is meant to be joyful, but it's hard when you're in that pit of like, this, this isn't who I was supposed to be. And I messed everything up. It's a terrible way to feel. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, forgiveness is a big practice in coming through grief. 
self-compassion, compassion for others is obviously important, but compassion for yourself, kindness for yourself. And that's why I really like to give people self-care practices too, because you really need to nurture yourself. The community is important and, and finding support through therapy and through acupuncture and through grief circles and all of that, it's really important because we don't heal in isolation. But it's also a sad truth that ultimately, like at 3 a.m., you're alone with yourself, you're alone with your thoughts, and you need some tools to nurture a good relationship with yourself, especially if you've lost someone like a, a spouse or a parent who gave you so much nurturing. You have to learn to to fill that void yourself because you're never going to get you. The, the person is irreplaceable. So you have the memory of them and then you have to cultivate a practice of what would they want me, to, how would they want me to take care of myself? And I think we've kind of already touched on it, but I think that that relates a bit to really being able to respect grief and respect the process <laughs> because we can feel, okay, this should be over now. Why am I still sad about this? Why am I still up at 3 a.m. thinking about this and having these strong feelings? And again, if we, we can fight it and deny it, but that doesn't change what it is. Breathing mm -hmm. in existence yeah. and something in existence yeah. we can't force away, it needs to be. So I think that having that respect for it, which again, ties back to what you said, which is that it's based in love and that it comes from a very, very real sense of sadness as well then you can kind of say, okay, I respect this process and however long it's going to take, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and as you were saying too, of it's so difficult when you have so much regret or you, you feel blame over something. I haven't experienced this personally, but I know people who lose a loved one who died by suicide is such, such a difficult struggle. And it's so easy to to just endlessly berate yourself for what you feel like you did or didn't do. There's a, a place for talking through issues like that, where oftentimes it's really you're, you have the illusion of too much control over a situation that like in reality, even if you were able to travel back in time, or you couldn't change the outcome. You know, none of us are that powerful, thank goodness. So Part of it is like talking through the issues and part of it might be some self-care practices where you can just feel safe in your body and just find ways to release emotion so that the, maybe there's not so much emotional charge to, to the things that you're carrying. But in terms of like the meaning-making process, Again, like people shouldn't put pressure on themselves. You don't need to make meaning out of something two months after after a loss. It really is a process and and the meaning can change over time too. But like if you if you lose something to something that you regret, part of that meaning process might be I learned such a hard lesson. I'm never gonna do that again. Or I'm going to go educate people so that people don't make the mistake I did. Or I'm going to found a nonprofit like Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Or I'm going to run a 5K race 
to raise money to defeat cancer or all of those things. While they don't, they don't necessarily solve grief, they can actually really help because it feels like proactive and not, not productive, but it feels like you found a way to, I'm going to make something out of this to help other people. Yes. Yeah, completely. Completely. Well, Annie, this has been such a beautiful conversation and thank you so much for the work that you do because when we are able to be guided a bit through our grief and to make peace a bit, it allows for such freedom. Um, I know when I've been able to do that, it truly feels like this weight lifted and a new, a different experience of life because there's no longer that burden, that heaviness when we're able to effectively transmute it a little bit, mm-hmm. right? And just something yeah. that we can can rather see as sacred rather than a burden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for opening up the conversation. It's I feel like so many people suffer in silence and people should know they're they're totally not alone, that you can't get through life without loss. Yeah. It's a it's a part of it and it's what makes life important and mm-hmm. makes life sacred is we come and go here on, on earth. And it's about recognizing the beauty in that and the beauty of feeling sadness, because again, it means that we love something deeply. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Annie, if anybody would like to learn more about you and your work, where is the best place to find you? Well, my website is joyalchemyhealing.com. So people can get on my email list to find out more about my offerings. I offer a free grief circle each month it includes a sound bath that's the last Tuesday of every month so you can find that on my website and on Instagram I'm acupuncture Annie so you can also see my offerings posted there great and I'll put that in the show notes as well and that grief group sounds lovely thank you so much for being on the show and for the work that you do thank you thank you so much for having me take care That wraps up our beautiful conversation with our wonderful guest. Thank you so much for listening to the Women Waken podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with others and come back for more. If anything you heard resonates, leave a review or send me an email at whitney at womenwaken.com and check out the website, womenwaken.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Don't forget to let your light shine and to keep an eye out for your special gifts and magic.